Ladies and gentlemen, I, Daniel, the Keeper of Arcane Secrets, would like to welcome you to a special Halloween miniseries produced by the It's a Mimic podcast. Beginning tonight and airing every Monday and Thursday between now and Halloween, the cast of It's a Mimic will be exploring November 1922, the frozen Canadian North, the apocalyptic rule set of Call of Cthulhu, and the deepest recesses of my own mind. Join us as we embark on the deadly homebrew adventure that I call The Deep Dark of Radiance. It is November 13th, 1922. The world is still recovering from the Great War. While it is a time of great prosperity for some, turmoil and danger still lurks in the shadows of Western life. The Spanish flu ravages Europe while it is trying to rebuild. The Soviet Communist Party has a promising new general secretary, Joseph Stalin, and Germany sits in economic ruin and global embarrassment, while the seeds of resentment quietly grow. Across the Atlantic, Families still mourn the losses of their sons, while the divide between the rich and the poor widens, and prohibition grips America in its fist. While some people escape their troubles by going to the cinema and watching the horrifying masterpiece Nosferatu, many wealthy people flood across the Canadian border, looking for good drinks and better times. In the far north of wintry Canada, Atop the ten provinces that spread from coast to coast sit two uncharted territories. The Northwest Territories span from Hudson Bay across the majority of the north, but nestled in between it and Alaska are the Yukon Territories. A harsh and beautiful wilderness, the Yukon is home to precious few people and very few settlements. The native Inuit walk the tundra and arctic landscapes across the northernmost rocky mountains and through the frozen forests and windswept plains. Beneath the beautiful glow of the greens and yellows of the aurora borealis, these tribes pass their deep wisdom and ancient knowledge from person to person as they promote balance, honor, and a peaceful existence among the wolves and bears and other predators. While the trains pull mostly supplies and cargo along this route, some passenger cars have been occasionally added during peak seasons. But most people who choose to travel do so via the pride of the region, the tourist attraction for the rich and famous, the one and only Yukon Adventure. This is the largest and most extravagant passenger experience in the Arctic, and boasts royalty and millionaires among its clientele. The train is painted the deepest red and the darkest black, standing in harsh contrast to the white and green landscape. It holds five passenger cars, two sleeping cars, a dining car, a lounge, and four indoor cargo cars. While it does stop at every major city along the way, it merely slows as it passes through the smaller mining towns 
fishing villages, and military outposts to give the drunken millionaires and weary travelers a glimpse of the simple way that these people live. The exception to this, of course, is Radiance Yukon. Named after the northern lights and overlooking the distant Wolfjaw Lake, Radiance is where the Canadian gold rush both sprung to life and gasped its final breath. While it has seen better times, its significance to the gold rush brings in tourists' money and government funding to keep the city running. Even the nearby mines have received recent interest by a small geological team. With the exception of a 37-day span in November and December, when the sun disappears below the horizon for over five weeks, Radiance thrives as a jewel among the Canadian North. The locals are known for being friendly and helpful. The landscape is known for being picturesque, and the money is known to flow even now. In a world still hurting from the Great War, quiet little Radiance is a frozen paradise where people can live and be free. Or so it would seem. Evil lurks just beyond the vision of the citizens of Radiance, and as the sun begins to set upon its long journey below the horizon, the Yukon adventure hurtles toward the quiet little tourist town, blaring its ragtime music from a well-loved monophone in the dining car and click-clacking along unsuspectingly. Everyone knows this is the last trip of the season. But what they don't know is that this is the last trip that the train will ever make. But before we meet the intrepid investigators who are about to engage in the fight of their lives, the players in question have to create their characters. And to do that, we must first learn the rules. We begin one fateful Sunday with the entire party save one. One of our players, Megan, was absent, but the others met and basked in my glorious wisdom and deepest knowledge to learn how to build a character using the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition rules. The investigators were as follows. So to my left, I'm Dave. We had, this is probably the first time you have all heard, actually heard, intern Dave. <laughs> I got hired on full-time now. Uh, I was promised $20 an hour to be here. You're not getting paid. I thought you were... No, 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 we promised him oh, that. Sorry, sorry, yeah. You're getting paid. Mm. Wink. I thought you were French. I've been speaking to you in French this whole time. <laughs> Do you speak French? Oui, oui. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> those, those classes are really paying off, Terry. <laughs> Next. Uh, I am Terry. You guys know me from the show. I, uh, I abuse intern Dave in French on a regular basis. <laughs> And in person. <laughs> and in person. Uh, I am Adam. You also know me from the podcast. I try not to abuse intern Dave at all, especially <laughs> by Frenching. <laughs> I see what you did there. Dan, Adam said Frenching. <laughs> oh, is that, that like I, a tongue thing? At first you would think language, but he was actually talking about making out with intern Dave. I, I think, yeah, that's a tongue thing. Oh, <laughs> And um, I'm Mieka. I am Adam's girlfriend. And uh, yeah, this is my first time playing any RPG game. First time ever? First time ever. Oh. 
-hmm. It's gonna get dark. The characters that these poor souls would be playing were unique in their own way. The first to be introduced was created by intern Dave. Uh, yes, uh, I am a big game hunter, and my name will be Gunther the Hunter. Gunther the Hunter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my god. Good. It's gonna be it's gonna be a dark, horrifying yeah, game yeah, 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 with yeah. Gunther the Hunter. <laughs> hey Gunther, you die first. Uh, how old is Gunther? Uh, Twenty-three. The next character was Terry's. Uh, je suis détective Martin Claude Noir. I'm a transfer from uh, Quebec. Uh, what about in Quebec? Um, Montreal. Montreal? Okay. Uh, how old are you, uh, Detective Martin? I am 52, Martin. Martin? All right. Uh, okay, Martin, you are 52. <laughs> Afterward, Adam introduced his character. Uh, my character's name is Moses T. Ripley. Everyone calls him Ripley. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I went off the list on the freaking the point. <laughs> Moses T. Ripley is like... Oh my god. He's a, he's a minor. It's, uh, Moses T. Ripley sounds like a druid, multi-class barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody everybody calls him Rip. So you guys just call him, he goes by Rip. Rip goes by uh, Rip. Yeah, he's 36, but um, that's aged him quite a bit in the mines. Yeah. So he's uh, he's surprisingly uh, agile and whatnot, but he's kind of, he's world-weary as well. So he's, he's kind of... Moses Rip. He's kind of been through some shit. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. And last but definitely not least, was Mieka. Okay, well, I am Charity Flanagan of the North Carolina Flanagans. Yes! Yes, very nice. <laughs> I'm 21 years old, and I am a lady. Awesome. I inherited all of daddy's money. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Actually, right now, of the North Carolina Flanagans. <laughs> Before we could proceed any further, it was important to lay down some ground rules. This is called Cthulhu. This is not Dungeons and Dragons. This is not uh, your average role-playing game. This is a high mortality horror-based system. Um, you guys, there's going to be a lot of body horror and a lot of uh, creep-tastic, uh, eldritch horror level of things. And I just want to make sure that that's going to be cool with everybody. Um, we are going to strive away from and steer away from any explicit sexual content. I don't think that's necessary here. And um, Not those kind of tentacles? Not those kind of tentacles. No. Okay. no. Uh, these are the ones that will rip you in half, but not through that orifice. Uh, I specifically requested explicit sexual content. Uh, you are going to get explicit body horror. That will happen. <laughs> well, same thing. And it swings um, around of us. <laughs> but I, I've been reading Stephen King for months now to prep for this. So ex expect some weird cosmic horror level stuff to happen. Um, is there anything that you guys want to steer away from, uh, want to avoid any phobias or issues that we should, like, does anyone have a problem with teeth? Because there will be teeth. No, I'm, I'm good with it. You're good. Okay. You're not, not going to make me squirm with the word moist or, or bulbous polyps. Oh, no, those those words are definitely going to happen. Um, I, I, I want you guys to be uncomfortable, but not like I'll take my shirt off. <laughs> not that kind of uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like any respectful game master must do, I was forced to address some concerns. This is 1922. Racism is a thing. Now, and, and it's Lovecraft. And it's racism love, is a and thing. it's love, love Lovecraft. So racism is a thing. Um, 
there are people at our table, Mieka, who uh, um, are black. So I want to make sure that that's going to be okay. Um, is Charity Black? Is I, I don't think that would be above and beyond 1922. It would be rare. It would be rare, but it would be a possible thing. Is Charity Black so or she... Charity's story is her father is white and her mother is black. Ooh, scandalous. Which is why you never met your father. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I love it. Father's Are you okay with me playing on that? A little bit. Cool. Yeah. Um, also, I will be making a handout to everybody. We're in the Yukon. The Inuit are a thing. The Inuit is the nice way of putting it. Eskimo is the bad way of putting it. and But time period accurate. But time period accurate. So uh, in the handout that we will be posting online as well, you'll see things like the Eskimo lands. Those are the Inuit. Um, we're trying to go a little bit for accuracy here, so we apologize for any offense. It's not meant to be outwardly offensive, just meant to be time period accurate. Once we all agreed upon the basic levels of comfort and safety, I encourage them each to roll 3d6 five times and record their outcomes. Then they were to roll 2d6 four times, adding six to each of these totals. As a boon for the players, I allowed them to reroll ones on their d6s. Once they had their nine numbers, they multiplied each number by five in order to see the stat blocks they would be working with. They started with the first five stats, those that had been rolled with the 3d6. Next, we will uh, allocate those uh, first five grouping of uh, numbers there. Those could go in your strength, your con, your dex, your appearance, or your power. But what does that mean in Call of Cthulhu? So uh, these are part of your main characteristics. Uh, these will uh, influence further decisions. Your strength is going to be your your push, your pull, your uh, whenever you have to contest that, it'll be there. Um, your constitution is how hardy you are. It's your resistance to poisons and disease as well. Um, your dexterity, how quick, how nimble. It'll also kind of decide if where you go in combat. Um, and your initiative in combat, if you want to use D&D terms, um, when we get to it. Your appearance, um, if you are a Dungeons & Dragon, Dungeons and Dragons player, you'll kind of associate this one with charisma. They're a lot the same. Um, appearance is also going to tie into how you uh, carry yourself in conversation as well. So it'll probably be Gunther the Hunter's dump stat. For sure. Oh, uh, next is your power. This is going to be your willpower. Uh, if we were using magic, you draw a lot on this. Um, power is also going to be what pulls on your sanity as well, and that's what we're going to be basing your sanity stat off of. I also want to uh, hazard you guys, a, a few of you have played Dungeons and Dragons before. Um, combat in this game is incredibly deadly. So if you are building your character towards combat and combat only, <laughs> it might not go well for you. I'm just saying. So, Terry just crumpled up his character sheet and threw it away. <laughs> Damn it, Terry. I only printed so many of those. <laughs> then they moved on to the final four statistics. Your next four stats are going to go into your size, intelligence, education, and luck. Now, your size is going to factor into your um, melee uh, capabilities. It's also going to factor into your um, uh, hit points and is 
your literal physical size of your character. Are you tall? Are you short? Are you frail? Are you hefty? What? Um, well, I'm French, so that's a dumb step straight away. Yeah, so, so uh, <laughs> put that in mind. Your intelligence is kind of your street smarts. It is not your book smarts like you would think it is. Uh, that is what your education is. Uh, your intelligence is also going to impact uh, the amount of skill points you get uh, later on when we do skills. Um, and, it, and your education will... Uh, um, your education is what is going to influence your occupational skills. Okay. Wait, so does so, education intelligence size move rate? We put no, no, no. The no. last one is luck. The luck isn't up there at the top with the rest of them. Yeah. Luck is on... Luck is on the first page. It is just a series of numbers because you could spend luck. Oh, luck yeah, that's right. Luck is a currency. So, it's, so do I circle... Circle where you are at with your number for luck. When all of this was done, I explained the rules for movement, as well as how age affects it. This immediately sabotaged one of the players. Okay, next we will do movement. Oh God. Um, if, your, if your strength and dexterity is less than your size, your movement is seven. Say that again. If your strength and dexterity is less than your size, your movement score, which is the ninth little square down there in the characteristics box, is going to be a seven. If either your strength or your dex, but not both, is greater than size, your movement is eight. And if they are both greater than size, your movement's nine. Nice. Terry, stop. Hold off, Terry. Okay. Because if you have, uh, if your age is over 39, which yours is the only one at the table who is over 39. Motherfucker. Um, you are going to take a negative one per decade over 39 that you are. So, which means you at 52 years old, my friend. I'm moving to seven. Fuck me. The one time I try and do an older character, you screw me over already. <laughs> Age is very important, Call of Cthulhu. It's uh, 39. I, did I say so, 52? I meant 19. That's okay. I'm nine. moving seven two naturally, and so is Miyako. What are you moving, Dave? Eight. Well, I'm your hunter that tracks. Yeah. yeah. Next, I guided the players through calculating their hit points. The players were appropriately concerned about the fragility of their own mortality. This will be your con and your size. Add those two numbers together and then divide that by 10. And that is the amount of hit points you will have. Con and size divided by round 10. Round down. Yeah, you're round down. My god, I have 16 hit points. My god, I have... I'm. Am I a level 1 character? Yep. Oh my god. There's no levels, but... Where's yeah. hit points? I can't even hit see. Hit points are here. Wait, what's that math again? Con and So con and size divide by 10. So I add it together. Yeah. So you have five, uh, 105 mm -hmm. would be yours with your con of 50 and your size of 55. Mm -hmm. um, divide that by 10. You have 10 hit points. Okay. That feels so scary. That feels terrifying. How many do you have? 16? 16. Where do I put that? 13. 13? Yeah. I have 11. Uh, your hit you points are it. here. There. Okay. I feel like that kind of makes sense over the type of character. Okay, wait, I have yeah. 15? No, you have 10. No, yeah, you have 10, because it's uh, 105 divided by 10 round down. Their original sanity scores were also disturbingly average. Next, we'll do your guys' starting sanity. This will equal your power score. Power score. So what you have in power, you will circle the number for your uh, sanity, um, depending on what your power is. During this discussion, 
we reviewed the basic breakdown of the one-half and one-fifth system that Call of Cthulhu embraces. You will notice in your characteristics, there are two little boxes next to the big box. That is going to be your uh, hard success and your extreme success uh, numbers. Uh, the first of those two boxes is half of your total number there. So if you have a 50 in con, uh, like round you do down charity, round, uh, round down, everything's round down. This is the top box, right? Yeah. So uh, go through you guys' characteristics, fill in that top box, which is going to be 50% of that other number. And then the bottom box is going to be one fifth of that total. So you'd be like 25 and... Uh, <laughs> this is the only time we do math, other than that 25 and 10. Preparing them. Before the microphones were set to record, it was agreed upon that these characters would steer away from the arcane and the occult, probably never having the ability to use magic of any kind. But, because not even I, as the keeper of arcane secrets, can predict the actions of a player character, we addressed the allocation of magic points as well. Magic points is going to be one-fifth of your power. So whatever that one-fifth stat there, um, transfer that as your magic points. As we moved on to discuss skills, Terry had additional adjustments to make due to his character's advanced age. This led to him rolling the first set of percentile dice of the campaign. Uh, Terry, yeah. because you are in your 50s, my friend, right. there is further things you have to worry about. What is on. the benefit of being older in this game? Uh, I might just you play on a higher difficulty than everybody else. Um, the, the older you are, the more educated you are. Okay. So at 50 years old, you get uh, three education improvement uh, checks. Okay. Which means, Terry, I want you to grab your percentile dice, Ooh. and you are going to roll the first set of rolls uh, on the percentile dice this game. And you're going to roll it once. Don't you screw me off your And it has to be under your education score. The total. 12. 12. That's under. No, you want That's under. Good. That's yeah, good. Under is Low good. Low is good. Low is good. Okay, so you roll the 12, so do me a favor, roll another d10. Okay. And record that number on a uh, piece of paper real quick. <laughs> <laughs> or break the pencil in your hand. So real quick, Jerry, real quick. Real quick. David, I'm just really nervous. <laughs> Okay, so the first one was 12. I'm just writing that up there so I don't forget. And then the second one was 10. Okay, no, so uh, you roll the 10 on the second dice. Yeah. Roll the total percentile one more time. What is it? One? Is that one? That's, That's a one. one. That's a one? My one. good lord. Uh, roll a 2d10. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing them right so, into the pile of dice. So I threw them here and they bounced in. A total of eight. Okay, write down that number. And then do the percentile one more time. These are called improvement checks. Am I doing well? You're yes. doing quite well, yeah. 27. Yeah, roll that d10. Spend 10. Another 10. Add oh, up. That's 28. Total. 28. Add 28 to your uh, education and redo your math. Why for the halves and fifths. <laughs> you have to change two more numbers, being in your 50s. Okay. Choose one of strength, con, or dex, and minus 10 from it, from your total number. One of strength, con, or dex. You are also going to minus 10 from appearance, because old people are ugly. Whoa, Dan? 
<laughs> it's the game. <laughs> Strength. I, I don't mind being weaker. Okay. After a long discussion about skills and math, we broke down the occupational skills that each character had access to, so everyone understood what each character was bringing to the table. Intern Dave went first with his big game hunter named Gunther. We have uh, figured out what our occupational skills are for our characters. So, uh, Dave, what we got here? What does Gunther have for skills? Uh, firearm handgun, firearm rifle shotgun, listen, uh, natural world, navigate, science. I picked biology instead of botany as a hunter. It made sense. Yep. Uh, spot hidden, stealth, and track. Okay. Nice. Terry was next, followed by Adam. Martin. Martin. <laughs> um, what do I have? I have um, bargaining or acting, disguise, uh, drive auto, fast talk, firearms, handgun, firearms, rifle, shotgun, law, listen, locksmith, psychology, spot hidden, not stealth. Okay. Um, Rip. As a miner, I get uh, climb, jump, mechanical repair, operate heavy machinery, geology, spot hidden, stealth, and one additional. One additional? That I could choose. Um, what are you going to choose? For that one? Uh, I wanted to throw it out to the table. I'm good either way. Electrical repair or locksmith? I've got locksmith. You've got locksmith? I'll grab electrical repair then. Sounds good. Mieka finished by telling us what the occupation lady has for occupational skills. So, um, um, really good at acting, really good at charm, dodge, uh, firearms, I chose a rifle, um, language, I can speak fluid Inuit. Oh, um, nice. Oh! <laughs> that, okay. <laughs> that just rewrote half a dance campaign. Yes. So I, okay, see you guys in two weeks. <laughs> I actually have an English to Inuit dictionary if you're interested on my phone here. So. All right. Nice. Uh, <laughs> what else do you have? I have to make a note for you then because there are certain clues I hid within the Inuit language. So thank you. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So what do we get? Uh, navigate, uh, persuade, um, ride, and that's it. From there, I explained how to determine their skill numbers and credit rating. Now that we have our skills chosen, let's actually put some points in there. Um, what you are going to be doing is you're going to be taking your education and you're going to multiplying that by two. Oh, God um, damn. Just on your notebook, okay. on, on your little notebook there, Terry. Um, and then you're going to add that to your strength or your dex. But this is true for everyone except Mieka. Okay. Um, so everybody else except Mieka is going to be taking either their strength or their dex, multiplying it by two. Um, and then Mieka is? Is education times two plus appearance times two. Okay. But we're doing education times two plus, plus strength, strength or dex, whatever's highest times two. Yeah. And then adding those two numbers together? Adding those two numbers together. So I'm coming up with 290. Hey, me too. Nice! And I need my calculator. Okay. How do you guys get 290? I have 80 decks and a 65 education. So. Oh, times two. Oh, thank hey, God. Too. I was just doing all right. Oh, I forgot the times two. I was in trouble. No. Um, our next step is going to be the fun one. Um, this is going to take a little while, so we'll probably pause the microphones for this as well, and then we'll come back to it. Um, you get to take those 290 points yeah. and put them... Uh, within your uh, however you guys want whatever your player preference is 
to your occupational skills and credit rating. Now, based off your credit rating, there's going to be a certain amount of plus or minus there that you have to do as well. Like Dave, uh, Gunther has a minimum of 20. So you have to assign at least 20 points to your credit rating as Gunther. And it's a maximum of 50. And it's a maximum of 50. Uh, Terry... Uh, we'll figure that out with your... Uh, we'll take a look at the investigator's handbook. We'll take a look at what that one is for you. Sure. Um, the other thing I want to point out when you guys are doing the math, next to all of the skills, you will see that there is a little percentage number. Yeah. That number, you will add on top of however many skill points you put in. That, that's your base. You that can't is the go base. Below it. You can't go below that. So if you, say, want to put uh, 25 points into Brawl, your brawl is not going to be 25. It is going to be 50 because of the base 25% chance for brawl. So I wanted to ask, does everybody get a base 25? Everybody gets a base 25. So when I'm filling out my entire investigator skill sheet, I'm just going to put 25 in that? Uh, based off of what that percentage is next to that skill, yes. So everybody has a fast talk of 5%, but everybody has a fighter brawl of 25%. And I can't upgrade fight brawl if I don't get it. Uh, no, you cannot. Okay. Right. However, later we will be doing personal choice yeah, skills, yeah, yeah. and then yes, you can. Adam put the minimum into Rip's credit rating and chose to emphasize electrical and mechanical repair. Mieka focused on more social skills for charity, although she nearly maximized her credit rating and her proficiency with rifles. I advised them not to bother with drive auto, ride, or navigate due to the nature of the campaign. From there, I showed them how to determine and assign their personal interest skill points. Personal interest skills, these are going to be your intelligence times two skill points. And you can reallocate those however you wish into whatever you wish. It is your personal choice. So, uh, so drive auto, ride, and navigate for me. Gotcha. Say that again. <laughs> Uh, so uh, you get, we've done your occupational skills. Yeah. Now we're doing what is called your personal interest skills. These are kind of the things to help flesh out your character's backstory and whatnot. Okay. You get your intelligence times two level skill points to put wherever you want um, and into anything you want. If you want to bump your occupational skills a little bit more, you can. That's, that's okay. Um, but if you want to, say, put points in appraise or you want to put points in first aid or medicine, which will be important... Uh, ah, we got a nurse. Uh, <laughs> not yet, we don't. <laughs> right. Uh, they'll be... We'll be sitting down with them separately to do this process with them as well. All right, and just to be clear, if I don't put anything in first aid, it already has a 30% beside it, so I will have a 1 in 3 chance of doing it You have a 1 in 3 anyway. chance of first okay. aid, yeah. So it's not like we're sitting there going, oh, God, he, he stubbed his toe, and everyone's like, I don't know what's going to happen. He's going to die? Is yeah. It, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You have your 30% chance still in there. But you can boost it uh, with these personal interest points. So go ahead and spend those. Mieka revealed that she had a distinct advantage beyond her character's wealth. Charity had an incredible amount of skill points to allocate. Okay. okay. God, you were good at, like, everything. Yeah, I had 330. What? <laughs> yeah, her two big skills were uh, education and appearance. Your education is... And then now intelligence, so she's getting another 150. Yeah. Adam decided that Rip should be formidable in a fist fight. I boosted spot hidden and stealth way up. I uh, boosted listen way up, and I picked up some uh, fighting brawl. 
Yeah, I, I have a feeling Rip's the kind of guy who would have gotten in one or two bar fights in his life. Yeah, so his big thing is that he's able to move through the dark very well. He can be able to see things very well in the dark. He's good with, with machines, and he can throw a fucking punch. Yeah, cool. Terry realized that his character had different language needs than the others, and took that into consideration. Uh, I boosted um, language other for English, being a native French speaker, up to 71. <laughs> and then I also I also put some points in a sleight of hand as well. And then nice. I, I boosted, uh, I think it was just those two, actually. I decided to include an additional helpful variant rule using synergies, which I explained before moving on to the combat figures. If you have over a 50 in any of your category skills, which will be your fighting, your firearms, and your sciences, you get a bonus 10% in all of the other ones of, of uh, that category. So if you have over 50 in, say, brawling... You get a bonus 10% to your handguns or stuff like no, that. No, 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 just Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, just fighting, because there's swords and axes and stuff for fighting. If you have over 50 in your firearms, that translates. So if you have a 50 in handguns, you get your bonus 10% in um, uh, rifles. I have over 50 in both of those. Um, Nothing changes. Uh, no, you get 10%. To, uh, to both? To both, yeah. Dan, if you maybe cross out another number and write it in one more time. Uh, funny enough, we after synergies are done, we are done touching the skills. We're going to calculate our damage bonus and build. Okay. Now, at the bottom of your sheet, there's a little, on the right-hand side, there's a little thing that says combat. Um, this will be some easy math here for you. Uh, you take your strength and your size, add those two numbers together. Yeah. And then, uh, based off that, we'll be able to fill this out. So, uh, Dave, what is your strength and size total? Uh, 135. 135. You have a plus zero damage bonus. Oh, sorry, no. You have a plus 1d4 damage bonus. Plus 1d4? 1d4 damage bonus. Okay. And your build is plus 1. Okay. Now, for build, uh, if you are going to be trying to do combat maneuvers and stuff like that, this is where your build will come into play. Okay. Okay. Um, and depending on what your build is based off combat maneuvers, that will uh, make it so you're able to or not able to in some circumstances as well, or get bonuses or negatives to it. Um, Martin, what is your... Uh, yeah, what is your... Martin? <laughs> Martin. M Marty. <laughs> Martin. Okay, McFly, what is your uh, size and... Uh, uh, okay, at the other 95. 95. Okay. You got zeros. Uh, Just everything is zero. Yeah, uh, you, have damage, <laughs> you have a damage bonus of zero and you have a build of zero. Now, just so you know, those aren't negatives, so you're in a good place. So damage bonus is zero. And your uh, build, build is zero. zero. Yeah. Well, it's easy. So, like, if you were to punch a dude in the face right now, I would do zero. You you get a D three, that is what you get, just straight up. I don't even have it. Which is D six divided by two. Divided by two. Uh, Dave, on the other hand, has a D three plus a D four when he punches a dude in the so face. So we should fight. I'm a character. <laughs> okay. Adam, on the other hand, Rip. What are we sitting at? Your size plus uh, strength. One fifty five. One fifty five. Uh, you're gonna be the same here. You're one D four plus one. So 1d4 for your damage bonus, plus 1 for your build. And uh, Ms. Flanagan? 100. 100 even. You are at a uh, 0 and 0 as well. 
The players then spent the next half hour working on backstories, personal descriptions, ideologies and beliefs, significant people and meaningful locations in their pasts, treasured possessions, traits, and old injuries. They learned some things about their characters and what their lives would have been like in the 1920s. I'm just going to sit down and listen to this. I might need to add to these later on as we start. Like, just things like... Yeah, there's no problem. I just... It's... The main reason why you're filling those out is mostly to really flesh out in your mind what your character is like, their personality, their their drives, their ideologies, their... Who they are as a person is what you're filling out right now. Um, if you flesh that out as we go, perfect. I mean, that's the way most games work in D&D. Like, I'll come to a table knowing a name and a rough background, and that's it. Right? That's basically what you're filling out now. I am five foot four. Uh, rifle, binoculars, knife, mustache. Do you, do, you, do you have a knife? Like, is it a big, like, Bowie knife? Uh, yeah, it's it's a multi-tool more than a... And I don't mean, like, a leather one multi-tool. I mean, uh, it's not just for... Yeah, so it's got, like, the blade on the one end, and then it's got a spot you can use as, like, a screwdriver on the one end, and... Yeah. Yeah. So not like Leatherman, but just a very multi-purpose, like, military yeah, it, grade Yeah, it, it's big. It's not just meant for cutting. It's meant for prying. It's meant for, you know, tinkering. And yeah, fair enough. Did you get any scars from the war? Because I noticed you don't have that filled out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did. Oh, yeah, a little shrapnel on the right knee. Yeah, that's kind so, of... So, uh, if the weather... me in general. Okay, so. if the weather turns, or does you, does uh, <laughs> Gunther feel, feel it? Like, is it uh, something that hits him in the... If, like, if the barometric pressure goes up, does his knee start to hurt? Well, I wouldn't say hurt. I mean, he'll know the storm's coming, but it's not going to restrict him. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Well, just flavor thing, right? Yeah. Uh, although, that being said, if we're climbing up through three feet of snow up a big giant hill, he's probably going to suffer a little bit. Yeah. You know? You're also the fastest out of all of us. I don't want to give yourself a knee, knee injury. That's fair. Maybe I'll change the shoulder. Uh, let's see what we got here. You know exactly uh, why I picked a knee injury. Cool. Yep. You have an ex-wife? Probably left you because you shot your son? Yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, that would put strain on a relationship. I could, I could, I could see that. Uh, meaningful locations. The Somme. The Somme? Figured that the Somme, but the Battle of the Somme, World War One. Okay. I, I know very little about the Great War, to be honest. That's where everybody died. Yeah, millions. It was the first time any battle had claimed a million or more lives, and it ended up at like eight or nine million by the end of it. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. The the two sides clashed and didn't stop. We'd uh, we'd probably remember it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Four uh, years later. But you do have a lake house in northern Quebec. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Roman Catholic loyalty. Uh, you you got troubles with God. That makes sense. Yeah. Rules of law. Cool. Uh, buck 55, salt, pepper, hair, small build, cool. Uh, bullet wound scar. Oh, but, uh, I meant change that to buck 35, because he's 5'4". Now he was 5'8", okay. but down 5'4". Uh, trait, does not suffer fools impatient around religion. Good. Um, and you do have a picture of your son and wife. Awesome. There's a big North African part yep. of the of World War One. I. I know yeah, it was sure. World War Two, but World War One as well. Iffy? I don't know. Exactly I'm trying to figure out... As a, as a background mechanic, where would I have been stationed during the war? Britain. Britain, that's what I figured, but all right. Yeah, and like second line mechanics will still be like just like a few miles back. No, no, no not, not active tank mechanic. I put them together in the factory. Oh, all right, okay. Right, yeah, so okay. I, was, I was part of the like the um, machine, yeah. Yeah, the machinery force, so. Um, 
All right, so for me, uh, I'm a little overweight, uh, muscular, um, but I'm not concerned too much with uh, hygiene. I got a big black beard. Um, Should we be concerned with your hygiene? Uh, no, uh, I, it's a, I'm not afraid to get dirty. Okay. Right, so it's not that I'm running around stinking with flies following me around. It's just like, if it if it's a matter of getting elbow deep in something, I don't mind doing that. That's time to do it. I'm six foot six, so I'm huge and 240 pounds. Jeez. Yeah, I'm going to tower over absolutely everybody. <laughs> with a great big scary beard. Um, I'm a non-practicing Christian. Um... Still believe in God, but we've got problems because uh, I have three brothers that all died in the war. Uh, the eldest was Richard. He was in the infantry. The youngest was Jordy. He was 17. He lied to get in, and he died. They were in the same squad, and they actually found them on the battlefield huddled together. Oh, uh, my God, Adam. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> Call it Cthulhu. And then the middle, <laughs> and then the, the middle one was uh, Joseph, who was trained to be a pilot, um, and uh, he actually they got bombed. And uh, he wasn't even in a plane when he died. But I have his flight jacket and their three dog tags. And so those are my... So they sent Tom letter. Hanks to come and find you out in the field and bring you home? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they found... Uh, who did they find first? Is it Edward Norton they found before they found that David? Was Edward Norton in that? Who the hell was the actor that played the first dude they found? Oh, maybe Nathan Fillion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I was stationed in Britain, um, and uh, I, that was like the last time that I've been really happy. Um, we lost the family farm uh, to the bank because we didn't have the hands to help after the war. Yeah. Um, so I'm up here hoping to um, to find gold. I like this is an afterthought, last ditch effort. I'm spending the end of my money to come up uh, to jump onto the gold rush that is long since passed. Yeah, uh, the second gold rush ended right at the turn of the century. Yeah. So, like... So, this is, like, you 25 got, years later. Or you're 25 trying to get the scraps, scraps right? uh, Yeah, I'm trying to pick up the scraps. Just trying to, like, eke out a small living. Um, but I was a tank mechanic during World War One. My hands are calloused and scarred, but that's just from working on machines. Okay. Um, and nice. that's it. Awesome. Mika. Mm, that's hard to follow, but um, that's, that's a lot of de- I had like two bullet points in each section. <laughs> like my story's all over the place. Um, my physical description—I'm a small person, but I'm like very well dressed. Um, religious, but like very open-minded. Um, some significant people. My father, of course, but I've never met him. But he left me all of his fortune. And very close to my mother, who, of course, raised me, and my father's advisor, who helped me with the finances after my father died. Uh, Meaningful locations, North Carolina, of course, and Canada. I moved up there for a better life and to invest in some land. Treasured possessions, father's gold watch, mother's locket. Traits, quiet, yet very charming. Ladylike, but ready to kick some ass. Um, <laughs> I feel like you're oh, yeah. describing. I feel like you're a superhero. I feel like you're a rich person superhero. <laughs> you might be Iron Woman. <laughs> I probably am. Um, uh, small scars on my hands from like working outside before I um, became rich. <laughs> um, phobias. I don't like spiders or bugs. And I skipped the tombs and spells. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. That stuff's fine. Okay. Uh, and and even the uh, the occults uh, the 
witnessing on a, what a what's the exact wording there the encounters strange. with strange entities yeah. uh, you, you actually put some down there which, which I part? just put none but like I'm very interested in ghost stories so okay um, remember this is also the in the 1920s the whole spiritualist movement is in full swing like mm-hmm. uh, people are getting together with mediums and and uh, there are professional mediums. The what are they called? The the clairvoyants. The the no. canker sisters, I think, is what they're called, or something. There's actually these sisters that are traveling around the United States at this time of year, uh, or at this time of uh, history, doing nothing but seances and all these other things. So there's this very large spiritualist movement. Um, uh, people trying to talk to the long dead or whatnot. Um, also, a little bit of a Re, uh, reignition of interest in all of supernatural, not like not just the uh, ghosts and whatnot, but like freak shows are a big thing. Freak shows and yeah, um, vaudeville circuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of this is kind of present, not necessarily in uh, um, in the Yukon right now. But okay, uh, last thing we got to do if that's all done is we have to uh, mark down, by the way, what your key backstory connection is. Choose one of those things that you uh, um, wrote down, one of those areas, and just make a little mark noting that this is going to be your key one so that when we uh, hit these rest periods, you could tell me what you're doing with that item or what that memory uh, to enable you to roll to regenerate some sanity if you lose any. Sure. Okay. So mark that off. The group then tried to understand how to determine their starting cash and their assets. If you look on your back page, there's that section that says cash and assets. Um, We're gonna be filling that out now. So, uh, Gunther, what is your credit rating? It's Gunther. Gunther, what is your credit rating? 20. 20. Um, you, my friend, have uh, a cash flow of um, uh, your credit rating times two. So you'll have a cash of $40. Your assets will be uh, credit rating times 50, which will be, if you got a 20, it'll be 100. Um, and your daily spending cash will be uh, $10. So... Anything under $10 you could spend daily, it doesn't matter, we're not going to track it, right? Like, if you want to go, and this is 1920s, so like... So you said asset is my... Credit rating times 50. So that's not 100, that's 1,000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, is, uh, does that math the same for everybody? Uh, there's different, depending on what your credit rating is, that math will be different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Terry, my what do we got from our 10 for your credit rating? 20. 20. You'll be the same. Your okay. credit Assets rating. is 1,000. 10, 40, and 1,000. You didn't put anything in there. Of all of these points, you were spending level 10, minimum cash uh, 40. Uh, for you, it was 50, 50. points in the, in the credit rating. Okay. So while you redo that math, mm-hmm. what was yours? 10. 10. Uh, you actually had that same math. Uh, uh, anything I, between I was paying attention, so. 9 and 50. So uh, you your cash flow is your credit rating times two. Your, uh, um, I think your spending level is five and your assets are 500. Yeah. Uh, no, his spending level is still 10. 
but his credit rating, uh, his assets will be your credit rating times 50. All right. So, we don't have access to banks in this. Is this just what we're keeping in our suitcase? Pretty much. Take note of Adam's question about the lack of banks. This will directly influence more than one character in the upcoming series. Uh, Charity, you're sitting with a 50 in your credit rating. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that means you have uh, your cash that you have on hand is going to be $250. Okay. That's a lot of money, thank Yeah. Let's um, kill her. Your uh, <laughs> amount of assets is going to be 50 times 500. Okay. So 25,000. 25, so please just buy the town of Radiance. <laughs> <laughs> Campaign over. Yeah. And uh, your spending level, you have a daily income of $50 that you could spend. Oh, As uh, in 1920s money, what's yeah. that horse cost? I don't care. The rest of the session was dedicated to choosing their items and weapons and polishing up the final details of their characters. After much discussion about firearms, Charity, Gunther, and Detective Noir all chose various handguns, rifles, and shotguns, while Rip focused only on melee weapons. During this time, I discussed the basic homebrew rules I was planning to inject into the game as a way to counter the imbalance that our frantic pace would create. Call of Cthulhu is designed for long-term, drawn-out investigations, and we had agreed on a faster pace than normal. For your sake, allow me to educate you on our five homebrew rules. If, between sessions, the players wanted to roll a luck check and a sanity check, they could. A successful roll would allow them to regain 1d10 of that stat. Luck would be used sparingly on my behalf, but the players could spend luck points to make up the difference on a failed check. First aid checks would be used to regain minimal health or stabilize, and could only be used once per injury. Medicine checks could only be used during an 8-hour rest. No one was permitted to add points to the occult skill. It was agreed upon beforehand that everyone would be mundane and unaware of eldritch horrors. We would be foregoing the rules on malfunctions for firearms. And finally, with character creation completed, Gunther, Detective Noir, Rip, and Charity, plus one other unknown member lurking beyond their vision, were ready to board the train and embark on the most horrifying journey of their lives. Join us this Thursday for the first actual play episode of the Deep Dark of Radiance. I am Daniel, the Keeper of Arcane Secrets, and I will be waiting for you. This has been an It's a Mimic production, The Deep Dark of Radiance, using the Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition rule set. For more quality content, check out It's a Mimic on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and most podcast apps. You can also find us on www.itsamimic.com.